Backyard Green Films is proud to present this episode of Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Alara and her husband, Rick, travel throughout the land in their travel trailer, which they have nicknamed Bessie, bringing you stories about their travels and the people they meet. They visit farmers, ranchers, and just about anyone who loves putting their hands in the dirt or their feet in stirrups. In those travels, they have gotten to meet some very interesting people. Here's one of those interviews. Hi, this is Alara. Welcome back to our podcast. We are in the midst of a pretty big anniversary. Two years of podcasting this month. And I'm sure everyone across the agricultural universe in North America is celebrating with us. Okay, so maybe our particular anniversary is not known quite so broadly, but it's fun to imagine that we'd be celebrated here at the Agriculture Podcast. The one we're actually referring to is a rather big one. We're releasing this episode in the year 2021, which puts us 500 years from the time that one specific Spaniard decided not only to visit, but to set up shop. According to History.com, Juan Ponce de Leon arrived right about this time of year in 1521 and decided to bring animals, start a colony, and then look for the Fountain of Youth. None of that worked out too well for him personally, as apparently the natives weren't too happy with his arrival and killed him soon after he got here. In the words of today's guest, it's rough living in Florida. Or anywhere in that region during that time, it has to be said. But one thing is for sure. Spain's decision to bring living things to the New World changed things fundamentally forever. Native peoples and the native animals definitely had to adapt or die, as they say in evolutionary terms. And often that survival part was a really difficult thing to do, especially when the start and the ending locations of a journey can be so vastly different. On this continent, our horses and our cattle these days are so ubiquitous and so common to us that we've co-opted them to some extent. They're considered all-American, which often means that we don't always think about where and how they started. But a good chunk of our livestock here in this country had a starting date and a starting place, and most of that involved what we now call Florida. Florida is not the place that most people associate with agriculture. Okay, so there's that orange thing, and I gotta give it to them there on that one. But it's not usually a place that people might think of as livestock country. They would be wrong. When I went to visit Rick's family in Florida, I was amazed at the number of horse farms I saw in that region. It looked like somebody had taken a chunk out of Kentucky and plopped it in Ocala and planted a few palmettos here and there just for context. That many horses, really. But it wasn't always full of rolling green fields for Dron Travolta to peruse while flitting about in his private plane, and it wasn't always an easy maintenance place. It was pretty much a fight with bugs, heat, humidity, disease, panthers, snakes, heat, more humidity, and very fibrous but not necessarily very nutritious forage, and heat, and humidity. Trust me. Orlando in August is bad enough in 2021, and I can only imagine what it was like in the 1500s with no air conditioning. And before we get hate mail, I'm told that you do get used to the humidity of the southeastern United States, but after a week there, I was still longing for anything under 70%. 80%. Okay, so I would have been thrilled with any humidity under 90%, but it was not to be. 
But I'm sure the humidity was one of the lesser concerns for the Spaniards who came to the New World, and this bred some pretty tough stock. 500 years can do a lot of mutating and adapting, especially when natural selection is on overdrive. Our podcast guest today is Stephen Monroe, who coined one of the phrases in our film that makes me smile every time I think about it. It's rough living in Florida. He was talking about local adaptations in the livestock the Europeans brought to this country and the sharp-level curve on the adapt-or-die scale that existed back then. The animals that arrived with the settlers made it, or they didn't, but when they did, they sure did thrive. And today, he's going to talk about the Florida Cracker Horse, one of those animals. Stephen is retired from the Florida Department of Agriculture now, but he still works hard to help preserve these historic genetics and to bring awareness about the characteristics that these beautifully adapted animals have to offer. Easy gaits, willingness to work, compact size, noticeable agility, tolerative heat and humidity, and great herding ability and cow sense are just a few of the things that took hundreds of years to develop, but might take only a few years to lose. I have a quick side note here. We tend to think of livestock as being the only ones doing adapting. But humans, if they're smart, will do their best to adapt as well. Some of the Native American tribes can also thank the Spaniards for one of their more fundamental cultural shifts. Think of the horsemen of renown that developed over the last 400 years in North America, and how some of the tribes became known for their horsemanship and the superior nature of their breeding programs. It's truly remarkable considering that over the span of time, horses are a relatively new import here. Talk about intelligent adaptation. Can you think about the Comanche peoples without imagining them majestically posed on a horse? Me neither. The horsemen of the plains, they've been called. No matter who you are, what you are, or what your perspective might be, you can't argue that the Spanish stock brought here in the 1500s has been a huge influence in all of North America in much of our agriculture. And we'll be celebrating them more in this upcoming year with some great content. We've done podcasts in the past that you might remember, talking with people who celebrate the Spanish heritage of their livestock on a daily basis. In December, we brought you a podcast with Rick and Pat Blaney, who raise Galicino horses in Florida. One of our earliest podcasts was with Stephen Monroe, talking about Florida cracker cattle. We've spoken with people that raise Spanish goats, piney woods, and longhorn cattle, Navajo churro sheep, donkeys, mustangs, chickens, the list goes on and on, and this is a great year to celebrate the Spanish influence on our livestock. By the way, some states and agencies are working hard to keep this important part of their agricultural history alive, like the Florida Department of Agriculture's Cracker Cattle and Cracker Horse Program, or like Fort Griffin State Historic Site in Texas, home of the official state longhorn herd. We'll be visiting those types of places in the near future, we hope, and we'll bring those stories to you as we go. In case you were curious, if you want to find what's left of Ponce de Leon, you would have to start in Cuba, where they initially buried him, and then go to Puerto Rico, where they moved what was left of his earthly remains. There's probably not much left of him now, because I think he never did find that fountain of youth. But one thing from his life is still very much alive here in North America, even if the numbers aren't quite what they should be. 
The hoof prints of the Florida Cracker Horse still hit the soils of Florida every day, living in the current time, but still displaying the adaptive characteristics that got them to 2021 in the first place. Because, and I gotta say it, after all, it's rough living in Florida. This is one of the few interviews that Rick had to do alone, but we've added some context in for you since you couldn't hear the questions from my favorite camera guy out on that windy pasture. Seeing the footage later of all that beautiful livestock actually made me want to go back to Florida again, even in August. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Stephen Monroe, historian, preservationist, livestock expert, and, as he's also known, the cowboy poet. I'm Stephen Monroe with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. I manage the Department of Agriculture's Florida Cracker Cattle and Florida Cracker Horse Preservation efforts. We now call them Heritage Breed Program. This is the herd that's in Tallahassee, Florida, our state's capital. These are within the city limits of Tallahassee, the only livestock operation that's left in the city limits of Tallahassee. And I manage also a herd of cracker cattle and horses at our Withlacoochee State Forest in Brooksville, Florida. First, a description of this critter. Florida cracker horses descended from the horses that came from Spain with the Spanish explorers in the 1500s. They were brought to Florida for transportation and they fit really well with Florida's environment. So they thrived here. And of course, transportation, equine for transportation was a big thing across the whole developing world. And these cracker horses are very durable. They're not big horses, so they fit well with Florida's environment. They, they don't get overheated. They can withstand the wet conditions. They can traverse across wet areas very well. So they became a big part of Florida's economy as the cattle industry developed. Of course, the horses for pinning the cattle and working the cattle became very important. Prior to that, or at the same time, when the people were fighting over Florida, the, the armies that had horse transportation had a great advantage over those that did not, that were on, the, on foot. So the horses became quite a hot commodity. Mixing up the timeline a little bit, but the Seminole Indians, the Native Americans who became Seminole Indians, known as, they relied heavily on horses. They, were, they became great horsemen, equestrians, and they, as they learned to ranch and have cattle, they really appreciated having the horses. Many of our horses in the U.S. are of Spanish descent, but these guys more than most. So let's hear about the Spanish connection. Ponce de Leon, on the second voyage in 1521, it's documented that he brought cattle and horses to the New World. They continued bringing horses, though, as they knew they wasn't going to be transportation when they got to wherever they were going. They brought cattle, horses, swine, and poultry with them. And most, most of the voyages, at least one of the ships out of several ships, would have had some livestock on it. So the horses are, Ken, these horses are directly descendants of those horses that were brought here 500, almost 500 years ago now. We've blood typed them, we've DNA tested them, we know that they are Spanish phenotype. So we've had uh, people from Spain come and look at them. And they said, wow, you know, y'all saved, y'all preserved something that we didn't preserve elsewhere around the world. We've bred them, we've crossbred them, and bred them to other breeds, other 
pulses to, to change them, but they think these are some of the purest of the pure. Are they rare? The Florida cracker horses are, there's a few families that were stubborn enough to hold on to the Florida cracker horses without crossbreeding them to other breeds. They kept just a very few pure Florida cracker horses and the breed association was formed in 1988 and the registry was started in about 1989. And these horses are now numbered around a thousand that have been registered. Some people get horses that don't register them so there's other purebred cracker horses out there. A lot of cracker horse influence, they cross them. Our working ranches in Florida, now most of them use a cracker horse cross with a, a Morgan or a quarter horse or other breeds so that we don't have as many purebreds, but there's about a thousand, to answer your question, there's about a thousand purebred cracker horses in the registry that's maintained by the Florida Cracker Horse Association. And does the Department of Agriculture in Florida actually use these as working horses? The Department of Agriculture has only maintained a nucleus herd for breeding stock. So we, haven't, we don't have the labor or the manpower or the time. We all have other jobs besides the heritage breed stuff. So we don't have the time to haul the brake or saddle brake all the horses. This particular mare was trained in Madison County as a working cow horse. So the answer is yes, this mare is, is halter broke and saddle broke. She's a working cow horse, retired from that to be here, be a productive brood mare. The other ones are not broke to handle. We plan to break the little colt though. Our forestry department is wanting to start using horses to put out prescribed fire in the woods where a vehicle may damage the terrain. They want to use horses. so. This colt will be moved with Likuchi when it's two years old to be trained as a working. He'll be a stallion in our herd, but he'll also be a working horse to use in control burning. And he tells us about the first hoof on the continental United States that we know of. It is historical fact that Ponce de Leon brought cattle and horses with him on his second voyage, which was 1521. He landed at Charlotte Harbor, Florida, and the horses and cattle were offloaded of the ship and brought to the, to the mainland. And that's documented as the first cattle and horses to set hoof on what is now the continental United States. Florida and agriculture are not usually something that mean anything other than oranges to most people. But what about livestock? Florida is an important uh, equestrian or horse state since the advent of the Spanish coming with these cracker horses, or Spanish horses that became known as cracker horses, that was, allowed us to be in the ranching business. And Florida has always had an important component of our agriculture involved in, in ranching. And the horse industry, because of the lime rock soils in Florida, it grows the colts and fillies, the, the young horses grow so well in Florida, it became a home to the racehorse industry as well. So Florida rivals Kentucky and some of the other states for raising, producing racehorses. Kentucky is still number one as far as the volume of colts born and foals born and, and trained and all that, but Florida is second in the nation as far as the number of thoroughbred racing horses that were, there's all other disciplines of horses too though. Any breed you can think of, there's some in Florida, the Arabians, the Pasifinas, other breeds of horses became important to the 
cattle industry, the American Quarter Horse became one of the favorites in the cattle industry because of their size. In Florida, we had uh, to start roping a lot of cattle to protect ourselves from screw worm. We had to catch the cattle or treat them to get rid of the screw worm. We had to catch each animal and treat it for screw worm. So they wanted a bigger horse than the little seven to 900 pound cracker horse when they were roping those bigger cattle. So they started crossbreeding them with quarter horses or other breeds, Morgans or other breeds to make the horse a little bit more large so they could restrain the animal when they roped it and tied to the saddle horn. And the family names are important as they pertain to these horses and their lines. There are certain strains or family lines of these cracker horses named after the families that protected them or preserved them. The John Law Ayers family in Hernando County had cracker horses and he became a state representative in the Florida House of Representatives in 1984, he was recognized as having one of the pure strains of cracker horses. So when he was in the House of Representatives and found out about the department's in, uh, interest in preserving heritage breeds, he said, well, y'all get some for me. Get, I'm gonna donate you six females and two males from a herd in Hernando County. That put the department in the business of preserving the cracker horses, not only just cracker horses, but the heirs line of cracker horses. The other families were the Bronsons. One of the Bronsons became Commissioner of Agriculture years later. The Partons, several other cow families saw fit to save these horses. So they were known as Bowles or Bronson or Parton or heirs, strains of cracker horses. And why do they call them Florida crackers anyway? The terminology of calling ourselves crackers are the cracker cow and cracker horse came from two things. The subsistence farmers or people that were the pioneers, when they were able to grow their own corn, they cracked their own corn for a living, to live, from, live off of, to make food for themselves. They cracked their own corn. Those that had corn cracked their own corn at the common mill. Maybe it was a few families that owned a mill or local mill. So they cracked their own corn. They lived off of what they grew and they lived off that cracked corn. They cracked it for grits and cornbread and, and feed for the animals if they had surplus. That's one thing. The other was our cow whips that makes us distinct crack or pop. When we're, we're driving the cattle, we use those whips mainly to control the cow dogs. The, whips, the retort of that whip is a very directional sound and it's, the retort of that whip can be heard for quite a ways, mile and a half or so across the woods and they, they could hear the drovers or the cowmen out there driving the cattle. They, they could hear that crack of that whip. So they said, oh, the, the crackers are over there. So they became known as crackers. And it became a, a term used for the, their architecture was cracker style, the, uh, the houses they built. So everything became the cracker style of lifestyle. So it became, it went out of fashion for a while. Now it's quite popular to, be, to recognize ourselves as Florida crackers. The native Floridians consider themselves Florida crackers, and it's a source of, of pride, you know. A lack of fencing and economics have strongly influenced the development of these horses and cattle from the time of Ponce de Leon onward. When the Spaniards brought horses for transportation here, as soon as the, the Franciscan friars started trying to teach the Indians 
the ways of, they want them to live in, they want them to, to learn how to ranch, they want them to learn how to be equestrians and ride horses. So horses became part of the culture, they became part of the Native Americans culture as well. And they became very important though because the people that had horses were considered wealthy. Those that had horses, they had means of transportation that others didn't have, so it became a, a, a boon or a status symbol for the families that, that had cattle and that had horses. The horses became a very important part of the Native Americans' culture. And later on, as the war started, the, the whoever was fighting that had horses for transportation would get there a lot faster than, than the soldiers by foot. So they had an advantage over it. So they were, they were fought over, they began fighting over the ownership of the horses and cattle as much as they fought over whatever else they were fighting over, who controlled Florida. Spaniards, the French, later the English, and the Native Americans were already here, so they were all vying for control of Florida. And the ones that had the cattle had food, the ones that had the horses had transportation. So they, they were always in a very important part of what was going on in Florida. Okay, no big hay truck semis full of alfalfa. Let's hear about feed and forage and how these horses react. Florida's climate turned out to be the Lord made it just right for grazing animals. There's a lot of the forages that are the natural, native grasses and natural forages are just right. Florida's climate is warm and the peninsula of Florida is very warm and subtropical to the point that we have something growing almost all year round below the frost line, so there's not much frost, so there's a lot of forages. So these horses did very well on their own, just left alone out in the, Florida wasn't fenced until the 1940s and 60s even, so they were, it was open range country, and oftentimes the ranchers, the Native Americans certainly would just have bands of horses that were roving around to, they can find something to grow on, some good forages when they don't have to worry about bumping into a fence. They can go to where the maiden cane is in the wintertime. They can go to where good stuff is to eat. So they did really well, they, they flourished. And as our pioneers found out they could capture them, they made a better live. The ones that could capture some cattle and sell cattle could make a living to, to settle in Florida and become, make companies and make, make businesses. Nowadays, the, the ranchers, they, as they begin uh, improving their ranches, they improve their horses as well. They started feeding them better and taking better care of them. These horses are genetically adapted to doing well on native forages. And what do Florida cracker horses and cattle offer from a breeding perspective? We've seen firsthand that these cattle and horses can uh, offer the the overall industry so much from a genetic standpoint for disease resistance, parasite resistance, and their abilities to subsist on less improved land, less improved, they, they take less inputs to grow these cracker cattle or cracker horses than it does other breeds. So there, there's some value there. Their longevity, it is really important. I'll tell you more about that when we get some cattle in the pen too, but their longevity means a lot. They're, they need less inputs, less trips to the veterinarian. We don't abuse our animals. We, we give them anything they need, but they just don't have to have as much. They don't have to have as much tender babysitting as other breeds would. Right. Even their hooves are different. 
their hooves are hard. These hooves, these horses, are, we don't have a farrier stop by every six weeks. These horses are pretty much wild. Nobody's touching their hooves. They're, they're naturally groomed. They groom their own hooves and out here running around in the pastures and in the rocks. So they're not shooed at all? They're not shod. They're not trimmed. They're not even trimmed every six weeks. If we have a, a quarter crack or a problem on the hoof every now and then, we'll have to have somebody come out and trim that hoof to make it grow back to the 100% get it back well, but we very seldom have a farrier out here on this place. This is a one-year-old cracker horse coat, and we'll, if he turns out to be smart enough, we'll use him as a breeding stallion at the place in Withlacoochee State Forest down in Hernando County. And that's managed by our Division of Forestry and they've just started now a program to use horses to ride in the woods to put out prescribed fire, to burn the woods to keep from having too much underbrush. They use prescribed fire and they've decided that they can use horses to ride out in the woods with instead of four-wheel drive vehicles. And this colt will be trained, if he works out to be smart enough, who get to be a prescribed burn fire horse, as well as a breeding stallion for our preservation herd down at Withlacoochee State Forest. If you liked our podcast, please subscribe. This is how we keep going. And please ask your friends to join us. Please also feel free to post any comments or questions to our social media sites. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook under Backyard Green Films. We love to bring you this podcast every week. We visit places all across the country and even a few places outside the U.S. We'd love to keep doing this as long as we can, but holy cow, gas is expensive. So, we've started up a Patreon account. If you'd like to help be a part of the stories you hear, we'd love your support, feedback, and suggestions. If you'd like to make that financial support, please follow the Patreon links in our podcast intro for more information. Every little bit is another mile we can put on the road to bring you the conversations we hope you enjoy. We want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. We would like to thank Stephen for joining us today. If you would like to find out more information about the Florida Cracker Horse and Conservation Program, please visit the Florida Cracker Horse Association or the Florida Department of Agriculture. Thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you next week with another adventure. You have been listening to Agriculture with your host, Alara Bowman. Please tune in for more upcoming episodes from our travels. I'm Rick Bowman, your behind-the-scenes editor. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Backyard Green Films Productions, all rights reserved, copyright 2021.